0: We, um on this topic of, of discipleship and what it looks like to be like and look like Jesus. Amen. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I've been saying this over and over. You probably heard me say, I want to pastor people this year who want to look more like, somebody say Jesus. Yes. Looking like Jesus is the goal. And again, it's not about being deep and being over spiritual, but it is about having a depth in God. It's about having a depth in Jesus that nobody else can can question you. eh? And when storms of life come, you're able to withstand it because you got some Jesus. And so today I want to look at a further way, according to the scripture, of how to look like Jesus in every area of your life. In Mark chapter 9, verse 33, let's continue on in our series. And it says this, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? who sent me. Come on, let's pray real quick. Father, your word is already blessed, but would you open our hearts as we are on this journey of wanting and desiring to look and be more like you, to be disciples, true followers of you. Give us ears to hear and a heart to understand and the will to walk out what you're saying. We desire this, Father God. Give us the will to listen and the ears to hear in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody says amen. Amen. Funny, um, funny note for you guys. There is not one iota or shred of wondering in my household who's the greatest. <laughs> By my smile, uh, you can tell that that's moi. And the reason I know this is because I've trained my children that when I say, who's the greatest, are oh, you automatically, ta da Try it, fathers. <laughs> Milo was a little harder. Milo, who's the greatest? <gasps> mommy and daddy. I'm just like, why is mommy first? <laughs> Don't make me choose. So I trained her to retool that. Daddy, then mommy. Right? But then I say, and then who's the greatest? And you would think that they would say mom. No. They say, I am. That's right. After daddy, the only greatest person in the world is yourself. I build into my kids like this next level. You are the greatest. You are the best. Funny, funny truth in my household. I tell all of my daughters they're the best. And then I say, I follow it up with don't tell your sisters. But the truth of the matter is that I actually mean it. I say to my daughter, Miley, you're the best cuddler. Myla's the best. Like she'll just cuddle with you for hours. She won't need to play in your arms. She's at home. Everybody needs a kid like Myla. And, and, and she's the only kid who will play with me. When I mean play, I mean fight with me. And I don't go soft on the kids. I, I lump them up. And Myla loves it. She loves getting popped, kicked, punched. She don't care. That's why when I hit her and she's crying, I know she's faking it. Because I done beat you up, play, fight, way worse, and you were fine. Don't lie now. And then Arya is like the, the most loving, the most affectionate daughter. She's always telling Daddy how great he is, which is not a lie. She's just, she has a level of revelation from the Spirit of God. Like, Daddy, you're the best. Daddy, you're beautiful. Daddy, I love you. Daddy, you're the sweetest. And she just loves loving Daddy. And she's so constant and consistent in her affection towards her pops. And that, I love that about her. She's my favorite, like, to talk with about how much she loves me. So Mila Cuddler, you know, Arya. She's my favorite in like just conversation and hanging out with. I'd rather hang out with Arya. She's very like she likes going out. Where Mila, she's like, oh, when are we going home? We're in the driveway. <laughs> True story. We're in the driveway. Why are you tripping out about going home already? I just miss home. Aria, like, let's tour the world, right? MJ, she's the baby. She's just a bundle of joy, and she just loves, loves, loves. She's just joyous and filled with this happiness that's just wild, right? And so each one of them have this separate thing that I love about them. But I kind of got in trouble last year at Danny Crystal's Hills and Valley event. I was there. I was doing a, a, a teaching there. And during the teaching, I kind of mentioned this. And I had my kids in overflow because when I went to overflow, the TV was off. There was nothing going on in there. But in between me walking into the sanctuary and starting to teach, somebody had turned the speakers on in the overflow room. So I was done, you know. I was tired. A little bit of teaching. Just some ministering, praying for people. I'm ready to go home. And out, I walk out the door, and there's Mila. Daddy, I heard you. I'm like, in your spirit? Like, where'd you hear me? I, like, I heard you say that you tell all of us what the best. And I was like, oh. I did what any dad would do. You heard me wrong. Get out of here. But my kids, right, my job as a father, the greatest gift God has ever given me is to be a dad. It's the greatest gift. My job as a dad, right, I think this is fathering. It's the art of imparting the heart of God to my children, to reflect Jesus, to reflect the father, and to be like the best I can at showing them how great they are. And I speak to my kids and I tell them they are the best. I tell my kids, don't judge, don't judge me. I tell my kids they're better than yours. You see all these kids? You're the greatest. I walk my daughter into school. Who's the smartest kid in this class? I am, dad. Who's the prettiest girl in here? I am, dad. And what are you going to do if they bother you? Punch them in the face, Dad. We never hit first, but we always hit last, babe. <laughs> Solid parenting right there. So I'm going to get an email about that. Whatever. Judge me. I don't care. So, so I tell my kids this, right? I, I speak the best into them. Yeah. You're the prettiest. You're the, you can do anything. You're the, you're the smartest. You're the best. It just so happens I have girls. i got to build them up even more. Yeah. i got to really build their hopes and courage. Like build, I take my kids on dates, building their expectations. If he can't take you here, he can't take you anywhere. It's $100 a plate. I don't care. He can't take you here. He can't do it better than daddy. He ain't going to do it at all. And so I'm always telling my girls, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best. I think that that's a job of a dad, and here's why. Because nobody sets off in life wanting to be mediocre. How many things have you quit on because you can't be the best at it? Because you couldn't achieve the level of greatness that was in your head about that one thing. So you started... Some of you guys, you, you really start on topics, whether it's like you want to start a diet or you want to start a hobby, and you give up halfway because you didn't get all the way up to the greatness you desired. I just don't think that anybody sets off in life as, I want to be a mediocre husband. If I could just stay right in the middle, <laughs> killing it. Like, I think that everybody wants to be the best dad. You want to be the best spouse. You want to be the best, right, maybe employee at your job. You wanna be the best at owning your business. Some of you wanna be the best friends of people you can be. Not that you wanna be everybody's best friend, but you wanna be the best friend you can be. Yes. Nobody sets off and says, hey, how can I serve you mediocrely? <laughs> like, I think that in all of us is this desire to be great. Now, one of the longings of the human heart is to be great. God gave us this desire that he designed us with this deep desire that we want to be great. Men, tell, tell your wives and your girls the truth. In your mind, you are a legend. Every man in his mind builds scenarios. If somebody came in here with a gun, I would do this. And you're at the doctor's office waiting with your spouse to see the baby and, you're, and he just killed 11 people in his mind, to protect you. Like, man, if you're honest, we build these scenarios in our head. We are legends. And if you're not, you're doing it wrong. You should think the best of yourself. Not from a place of pride, but a desire to be great. And it's okay to want to be great. Now, in the verses that we just read, right, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And his disciples are in the house with Jesus. And he says, hey, guys, what were you talking about while we were walking? Now, pause for a moment. The context here is they were walking from this town. If you remember the Bible verse where they were trying to cast out a demon after Jesus is in the mountain transfiguration, all that kind of stuff, they go to cast out a demon and they can't do it. And so Jesus has to come through. They get embarrassed because they can't cast this demon out. And they're all publicly humiliated. So now after that, they're on the way now to Capernaum. And they're walking. And the way they would walk in those days is none of the disciples would ever walk on the sides or in front of their master. They would all walk in a single file line behind him. So here are 12 men in a line. And they're talking about who's the greatest. My kind of conversation. Now, I don't know what they were measuring greatness by. Maybe it was how many demons they cast out, how many folks they slaved in the spirit. Maybe they were keeping, you know, tabs on their belt, how many folks they healed. We don't know, like, what they were gauging greatness off of. But they're having this debate of who's the greatest. Now, it's important to understand also that Jesus has mentioned that he's going to die. So the context of this conversation is the embarrassment, the long walk, and the death of Jesus. So the conversation comes up, if Jesus dies, who's in charge? That's what they're talking about. Who's going to lead us? And so Jesus is in the front, and he hears them talking about all this, and they're arguing, but they're in a single file line. So could you imagine John at the back of the line yelling at Peter in the front? Right. Or They're just arguing. And so Jesus is like, hey, what are we talking about on the way? I love verse 34, but they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So they're embarrassed about their conversation. They're like, we don't want to talk to you about it, Jesus. And Jesus could hear them. He's within earshot. Right? They kept silent because they were hesitant to speak about it because it was difficult to be honest about how petty the dispute was about who was going to be the greatest. So they're embarrassed and humiliated. And Jesus is so dope. They were already embarrassed about not being able to cast out the demon. But he doesn't want to embarrass them in public anymore. So this is why he doesn't address it on the road. He could hear the argument. So he waits till they're in the house and he deals with it. He's addressing this issue. But here's what I love. He doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. God and or Jesus will never rebuke your desire to be great. Here's point number one for you today. I got three points for you. Here's point number one. That Jesus doesn't rebuke a desire to be great. He refocuses it. Jesus doesn't rebuke your desire to be great. He refocuses it. I love this. I love that Jesus, instead of telling me I shouldn't want to be great, he gives me a formula for greatness. This is important for us. He gives us the formula of how to actually be great in the kingdom. the 12, we're getting this like major moment with Jesus where he lays out this simple formula for greatness in the kingdom, right? Every disciple and follower of Jesus, that's you in case you didn't realize that, you should read this formula and understand that you want to be great. And here's why Jesus does this, because he wants to nurture what he put in your nature. He knows what he put in you. In every man, he put a warrior spirit. In every woman, he put a nurturing heart. He puts these, he put in all of us the desire to be great. He doesn't want to take and pound that down. He wants to refocus and refine what our idea of greatness is. I want to talk to everybody in this room today and watching online who has a desire to be great in the kingdom. Jesus also has that same desire, but he wants you to be great in the context of the kingdom and not in the context of the world. Because the world's mindset of greatness is usually sinfulness. It's usually walking on people to get ahead. Jesus is completely opposite. He doesn't rebuke it. He refocuses it. And every one of us should desire to be great in the kingdom of God. God's, here's the crazy part. God's not against your greatness. Just so long as your greatness doesn't for one iota eclipse God's greatness in your own heart and mind. God's not against us wanting to be great. He doesn't rebuke it. He refocuses it. And then Jesus takes, he begins to elevate their understanding of greatness. As a follower of Jesus, I need to elevate my understanding of what Jesus calls great. And today I hope that he revives your desire to be great. Maybe you've lost that desire to be great. Maybe you've settled into a mediocre lifestyle. Maybe you've settled as a man, as a husband, as a wife. You've just settled to a status quo because you're bored with life. And God's like, no, 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 go be great at your home. Go be great with your spouse. Go be, tell the person to you, go be great. Them, Just go be great. Like, go be great with who you are. The disciples had their own idea of greatness, and it was the system of the world's idea of greatness. Verse 35, and he sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Jesus being the great teacher he is, he takes this teachable moment into this private moment with the 12, and he says, hey, guys, you got it all wrong. He refocuses and refines the idea of greatness, and then he turns it on its head, and he says, if anyone is going to come after me, right, if anyone wants to be great, You've got to actually, you've got to actually serve others. Jesus is doing it again, right? He's about to take the playing field and level it up. He always does this in scripture. What you think is good, he takes it and raises it 10 bars higher. He's like, no, this is what I'm talking about here. Like Jesus' idea of greatness defies human logic. It doesn't make any sense. He turned rank and the idea of greatness and rank and hierarchy, and he flips it on its head. And he says, he must be last of all and servant of all who wants to be great. Wait, Jesus, you don't understand. I'm trying to get ahead of people. He's like, well, the only way to get ahead is to fall behind. Wait, you don't, you don't understand. Like, I want to I lead. I want to be at the pulpit. I want to do all those things. God's like, Well, the only way to get there is to actually serve here. You can't get to the you can't get to the lights until you until you you've had the development in the dark. When I was younger, um, I used to work in the photo lab. They used to develop pictures back in the days before digital photography, and they had film, 35 millimeter film. And the thing about film is, until you developed it, if if you put it in the light, it would ruin it. That's how many Christians are. Their calling and their purpose. They crave the stage. They crave to be used by God, but they never allow God to develop them. And they try to get in front of the lights and they get overexposed. And they can't handle it because they had no character. They ain't got no development. And the next thing you know, they're falling away from God, but they were just trying to preach. You get what I'm saying? God's like, I want you to be a servant of all. you got to actually get behind. But Jesus, I want to get, his logic is wild. He does this for a lot of stuff. Like, Jesus always raises the bar, and he tells us to do stuff that's just like counterintuitive to human logic, like like this. Like, love your enemies. I want to kill my enemies, God. This is Bible days, not now. I'm just, they would slaughter their enemies back in the day. He's like, no, love them. Like, wait, what? He's like, if you get slapped... Tell the person who slaps you, hey, you forgot one cheek. He's like, turn the other cheek. Like, what? He says, you know, if you get robbed, give him your coat too. What? I know money and I'm cold now, God? Like, if you look at a woman with lust, right, that in and of itself is adultery. Whoa, hold on a second, God. I haven't slept with her. In your mind, you did. Like, Jesus keeps on just leveling stuff up. The list goes on. He always levels it up. Now he's raising the bar and letting them know that greatness is not measured by how you are served, but how you serve others. Here's point number two for you. The greatness we deserve is rooted in how we serve. You can't desire to be great in the kingdom, but not serve people. That's foolishness. You can never desire to be great in the kingdom of God, but never ever serve anybody else serving, right, laying down our own ideas and and desires, and sacrificing for others is the way that we achieve greatness in the eyes of God. What does it have to do with discipleship? Remember, being a disciple is continuing to become more like Jesus. In Mark 10, James and John didn't get the idea from the first conversation of greatness, and they asked Jesus the most outlandish thing. They said, hey, Jesus, when you come into the kingdom, meaning like the forever kingdom, um, "can, can me and my brother just as John talking, me and James, can we sit on the right hand and the left hand of your side? Like, can we just sit right there? And Jesus is like, bro, you have no idea what you're talking about. Jesus, like, he, st- he stuns him. And he gives him a clap back real hard. But then he goes on and he says this in and, 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 and the scripture. He says, but if, right, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever should be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. Now listen to this. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Did you see it there? If our goal as disciples is to live and be in the nature of Jesus, then that means that we also have to serve. Jesus says, if I've exhausted my life serving you, then you can exhaust your life serving me, serving others. Many people think that greatness is about how you get to the top. And Jesus says, greatness is how you help everybody else get to the top. Greatness is not about what you do uh, for yourself. It's about what you do for others. And Jesus sets this model for us to live out and to model for the sake of the kingdom that greatness is servitude. And Paul echoes this in his masterpiece to the church in Philippi when he's writing the letter of Philippians to them. And it says this in chapter 2, verse 1. So if there be any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, or any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Pause right there for a moment. That's really hard for some of you guys. It's hard for me at times to think of others as more important than ourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Do you see that, church? That when you exhaust your life for others, God has a job of exalting you. It's not your responsibility to exalt yourself, it's God's. But your heart has to be in the right place. Greatness is not about receiving, it's about giving and serving. Greatness is about humility, not the heights of how you can climb through your using other people to get to your means. Greatness in the kingdom is how low I'm willing to go so that others can go higher in God, right? So many are getting ahead in the world but falling behind in the church. What good is it to gain all the things of the world if it makes you lose your intimacy with God? What point is it to get ahead but fall behind in the kingdom? So many followers of Jesus think that serving is what we do on certain days in church, and it's not. Serving is a posture of the heart that you live from, that you serve others at all times, and that your life is poured out on behalf of others, and you're okay seeing others get blessed. You're okay taking a step back. You're okay spending of your resources to live and help and breathe and bless others. You're okay doing that because you're trying to get ahead, but you're not getting ahead by using people. You're getting ahead by blessing people. You see, that's what Jesus says, the last one shall be the first one. The last first, the first last. you got to understand it's like God is looking for people who are willing to be last so that he can make you first. But if you're rushing for the door, he'll put you as last. If you're you're first in your own mind, at some point God's going to put you last in some area. But if you begin to put others first, right, and serve, greatness isn't about how you prophesy, how good you preach. This ain't greatness, how good you might communicate to people. That's not God's idea of greatness in the kingdom. It's not about how good you sing, how good you are at your task and in serving in the church. It doesn't matter how much you give. Greatness in God's eyes is how you're serving others outside of these four walls. It's how you're loving people who don't look like you. And can you love people who don't agree with you? Can you serve them even if you don't like them? And the fact that there are people you don't like is still a deeper issue. Greatness in the kingdom is that you serve at the behest of the king and he can use you for whatever you want. When a member of the presidential cabinet is resigning, he says, well, because I... This is often the phraseology they'll use in their resignation letter. He'll say, "Uh, because I work at the pleasure of the president, his pleasure is now not there i will resign my position we work at the pleasure of the king and we serve at the pleasure of the king and when i serve right i'm reflecting the heart and the character of jesus it doesn't matter how good you are at being churchy if in the end you're not looking like jesus to other people you ever met some of those people like who remind you of somebody They look nothing like that person, but they act in a way that reminds you of somebody. Like, do you remind the world of Jesus through how you serve them? Am I humbling myself and pouring out my life for others, or am I using people to get ahead for my own desires? Jesus found glory in the gore of the cross. He found greatness, right? He found greatness in humbling himself to the point of death for you and me. Serving is a posture of heart that seeks to elevate others before it seeks to elevate myself. And that is how we become more like Jesus, because he said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And we see it all throughout Scripture that when you're willing to serve an anointing, God will give you an anointing. The simplest example is Elijah and Elisha. Elisha served the prophet Elijah for years and followed him wherever he went. And when God took him up... Elisha had previously never looked for advancement. He was always willing to be in the shadow of Elijah. But once Elijah's taken up, Elisha gets a double portion of the anointing of God. Because the anointing you serve is the anointing you deserve, right? Some of you are waiting for an anointing, but you ain't doing no serving. Keep on waiting. It ain't going to come. See, and and here's the thing. Some of the things that you want from God won't come just from prayer and you and God one-on-one in the closet. Because if you don't serve and live it out, if there's no outpouring where there's been inpouring, you are not going to see I am telling you, you can't order your relationships based on who you think is important to you, but rather who's important to God. Look around you right now. Everybody in this room, God says, you got to see them as more important than yourself. Did you just hear what I said? Everybody in this room, you have to have the mindset of they're more important than me. You can go out first. This is You're more important than me. Yeah. Oh, thank you for holding the door. I'll hold it for you, though, because you're more important than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Serving. Small things, right? When you're going into the store, you're going to Starbucks, and there's a long line. You're not rushing in just to get in the line because so You don't want to wait too long. You're going to hold the door for somebody. Why? Because you're going to serve them. Yeah. Because you're more important than me. Yeah. But when self is the most like, when, you are, when your advancement is your number one goal, that's a self-serving mindset. Here's the... Listen, listen to me. I didn't tell first service You're getting a gem here. Praise the Lord. Here's the problem with self-serving, right? If you serve yourself, there's no need for God to serve you. That's like the Holy Spirit, right? If you're always comfortable, why do you need the Holy Spirit to be a comforter? It's the moment you walk into uncomfortable waters, the Holy Spirit says, I got you if you're always serving yourself, how is God going to ever get it? I got this, God. No, no, God's looking for people who don't got it. And no, they don't because they're stepping out in faith, right? We need a real revival of discipleship in the area of serving others. Like who have you helped? Some of you, all of you know somebody who got the Rona. Have you helped them? Have you bought them groceries? Have you brought them dinner? They can't go out. Have you helped them? Have you thought about how you can serve them? Have you, it's been snowing, right? Have you thought about helping your elderly neighbors? I know some of you were saying, well, Pastor, I don't even, I don't even, I don't even shovel my own. We ain't talking about yours. (laughs) Again, that goes back to self serving. How are you helping others? What are you doing to bless others? What has God given you to be able to bless others, to put other people ahead? The more God pours into me, I want to pour, naturally, I want to pour into other people. I want to help other people. If God's given me an insight or a knowledge, I want to help other people get that same insight, that same knowledge, right? We need a revival of serving others because the Bible's talking about that, that God exalts those who humble themselves. So if everybody is humbling themselves and serving one another, all God can do is exalt. All God can do is lift up. Like, how can you serve somebody this week, yo? I'm not talking about just letting this be a, oh, wow, that's good, amen sermon, and put it in your notes, and then never do it. Like, go look like Jesus. Go be Jesus to somebody. Go serve. Go buy somebody groceries. You don't have to know them. When you're in the line, buy somebody coffee. Not to serve self, but to let them know, hey, God bless you. I just want to bless somebody today. Hey, this is for you. Why? doesn't even matter. Hope you have a phenomenal day. Hey, these groceries are on me today. Oh, how much? Oh, no, it's on you. Praise God. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But like, how can you bless somebody else? If all you're doing is looking out for self, right? Number one, I bless the house of God. But number two, I want to pour out to people. There's no point in being this blessed and not giving, not sowing, not serving. Oftentimes we don't serve because we think we're worthy of something higher. I got to this place, I told you this so many times, I'll say it again. I'm not going to withhold from God for what I think I'm worthy of and withhold what he's worthy of. I have to give to others. I have to sow. I have to serve. I have to help people. Here's how you know when you're doing it right, that the people you're helping can add nothing to your life. If you're only helping people who can help you, that's not helping. That might not be serving. That might be, again, that's self-serving. But I want to help people who, I don't need nothing from you. I just want to tell you, I love you. I'm praying for you. Don't need anything from you. Because I know that when people call you, they always want something. I need nothing from you. Just want you to know I love you. You're doing great. You're doing awesome, right? Serving others. Somebody say serving others. The greatness we deserve is rooted in how we serve. It's rooted in how we serve. So Jesus, he doesn't rebuke our desire to be great. He refocuses it. And then he shows us that the greatness that we do deserve is rooted in how we serve others. I'll close with this thought, right? Jesus, he's he's a master teacher. He's so, I love reading the stories of Jesus. What he would do often is he takes things that are relatable to the people or quickly accessible, and he tells them a story or a parable or something surrounding that thing. In the Bible, you'll see Jesus give a lot of parables about like, agriculture, sowing and reaping, because those people knew about that, or the lost sheep, because they were shepherds, right? Or the lost coins, because they didn't have dollars, they had coins, right? He would talk about different things that would always bring like a relative point to what he's trying to express to them to life. He wants to bring the, 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 the whole kind of mindset to life. That's why I'll talk a lot about my kids or I'll talk about my own life while I preach. And it's not because I'm making it about me at all. I want you to see it in motion and how it relates to God and to the Word of God in motion, right? So Jesus sees a baby nearby. So the Bible says, he sees this baby, verse 36, and he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. He takes his baby. And in the Greek, it's really talking about Jesus puts the baby right here, and he cradles that baby. This is like not like, hopefully not a 10-year-old. <laughs> it's probably like a toddler or younger. And Jesus takes his baby, luckiest baby in the world, and he's sitting in the arms of God, completely helpless, completely reliant, completely dependent. And Jesus looks at this baby that has no pretentious pride, no manner of arrogance, completely humble. And he says to this baby, and he points to this baby's demeanor and humility as the litmus of someone looking to be great. He says, like this baby who has no arrogance, who has no self-serving desire, this is how it is to be somebody say "great. In order to serve others, we have to remove pride, we have to remove arrogance. We have to truly be ready, willing and able to serve others. This is not about serving self. When we come like a child, right? completely humble, when we come like a child, completely ready, willing and able, we are able to be received properly. Here's what Jesus is saying, right? If anybody receives a kid like this child, right? If anybody receives you like this child, they actually receive me. Now Jesus, he's laying an example for us, y'all. And here's the example that Jesus is laying for us. Who is the child he's talking about? We don't know who the baby is, but we know who he's exemplifying. He's exemplifying himself, Because he was the child that came. Perfectly submitted to his father. And all those who received that child received the father, not just the son. Because in the times of the Bible, when you were sent by somebody, you went with their full authority. And you went with their entire and absolute, like whoever they were. So if the king sent you and you were the messenger of the king and you show up at the door of somebody's house, it's as if the king himself has showed up. And Jesus says, yo, you got to be like me. I am this child. I did come. And those who, like you, who received me, right, received the Father. But he takes it even further. He says, if I take on that same nature, no pride, no pretentious foolishness in my life, and I humble myself, like a child and I go forth right and I'm received by somebody I'm not received as Lewis I'm received as a picture of Jesus he says whoever receives you like this child they receive me but not just me, him who sent me remember in Philippians 2 earlier we read and by the end of it it talks about Jesus, how all that he did and it It pleased the Father, right, to have Jesus exalted. Every knee would bow, every tongue would confess. And then at the end of it says, to the glory of the Father. Because at the end, all the Son did was for the Father. Everything Jesus did was for his dad. Everything Jesus did is for the Father. And it's it's crazy because the Father is not the mad version of Jesus. The Father's not the mean version. If you've ever wondered what the Father's like, he's exactly like Jesus. Because you're the same. He's that full of love, that full of joy, that full of desire for us to be saved and reconciled to him. We have to reflect the Father to the world. And when we go forth in the image of Jesus, right, the Father receives us. Here's point number three. When I serve like the Son, I'm received like the Son that when I go forth and I serve, I take that childlike disposition and dependence on the Father to guide me and to strengthen me on my journey of desiring to be great. Because again, the root here is greatness. That when I serve like Jesus, I'm received like Jesus. But when I'm received like Jesus, the joy of this is that I get to reflect the Father to people's hearts. Now, now what would it look like? Listen to me. If you forget everything I said earlier, remember this. What would it look like if the people you came in contact with every single day didn't come in contact with you, but came in contact with with the Father of all? How would their lives be shifted? I think the issue is that many of us, they're coming in contact with us. We need that less of me, more of you mindset, less of my arrogance, less of my self serving desires. Less of ambition being my disposition and rather it being a dependence on you, God. Less of that. Less of me thinking I'm better than other people because there's a way to think that you're the best and still serve others. and think of them as better than you. There's nobody in this room who's going to tell me that they're greater than me. I think I'm the best at the best. You should too. I believe that. You should think you're the greatest. You should have a self, a God confidence in you. Yeah. By the same token, I will lay down anything to serve people. Because God is worthy of it. And if He did it for me, how can I not do it for you? That makes sense? And so He goes on, He's like, hey, catch this. When I serve like the Son, I'm received like the Son, not just by the person, but by the Father. When I look like Jesus, He can't help but receive me too. What would it look like in your life if you began to serve others and poured out your life for the sake of others and poured out your heart? For the kingdom. And pour out your heart for the least of these. And pour out your heart. Jesus says the formula to be great is not to put your head down, work hard, and get ahead. It's actually serve others. Think of everybody else as more important. Get behind other people. And in due time, I'm going to exalt you. I'll lift you up. You don't have to sit there and get yourself noticed. You just go ahead and do the least of these kind of. One of the simplest illustrations of this, right, is the idea of greatness. i tell you the truth. Like, I don't think that God looks at sermons that I give or the worship that we do and thinks, oh, my God, that is the greatest thing ever. I think that God's idea of greatness is the stuff that nobody sees. Because me doing this, this is my reward, right? But what nobody sees is what God calls great. Some of the greatest people in the church are people you don't even know about. I use this example in the first service, and, and, and they might get upset at me. I don't really care. The greatest thing is, a number of years ago, um, something started happening that I couldn't begin to explain why or how or where it came about, but it's this. It's that after every single service, no matter what, Kimora and her daughter Sharia They clean every bathroom and they empty every trash in the building. While you're conversating and walking about, right, and like, Pastor, what a great message! And God's like, that was cool, but look at, you're missing the greatness over here. You're missing the greatness where you're serving everybody else with nobody seeing it and that's why God's going to move you forward. Don't get me wrong, I've done my fair share of and I still do, of serving others. And we all should. But it's the things that nobody else sees where God says, I'll advance you because you're doing the work that nobody else sees. And Sometimes they're in there for a while. They're mopping floors. They're cleaning up. It's a girl who's like 17 or 18 and her mom. And the other sister, Lorkey, she helps them too at times. But Lorky's an employee here. She has an expectation now. But Sherea, she's a kid. And she's just like, and she always in the bathroom. And they leave it like sparkling. And y'all, are like, oh my God, when y'all sang that chorus, and God's like, forget the chorus. Like she scrubbed the bowl six times. <laughs> Come on. Did you see that? freezing cold and the rain in the ice, taking bags to the dumpster. Greatness. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Is those who serve all. The greatest folks today are not just the ones who clean, but the ones who are downstairs, constantly not out robbery to hold babies in their arms. Because some of y'all think you're too good for nursery. You tapped out. It was too hard. I don't even want to change my own baby's diaper. but you have no idea of greatness. You're foolish. Foolishness. Be convicted. And if you're not, even worse of an issue. That's greatness. Drea and Lisa and Tirza and Jassenia Rivera tonight, today in the kids' church. People every single day serving so that others can know God. Our video teams hiding behind cameras. And everybody's like, Oh, Burgos, your church is like I saw that you were killing them. I'm I'm not, it's them. It's the serving of all. It's those who are willing to serve all. That's greatness. That's looking like Jesus. That nobody has to spur you on to good works. You're just being good. I don't know who God's putting on your heart. Serve somebody this week. Find somebody who's old. Love on them. Find somebody who's sick. Love on them. You are old, Jeter. I heard that. Somebody, somebody, I heard that, Jeter. I hear everything. He said, yeah, he looked at the girl, yeah, I'm old. Like, serve me. <laughs> yeah, but God wants us to serve each other. Who's a neighbor you can serve? Who's a brother in Christ or a sister you can serve? I told the first service, fellows, don't start calling the girls. I'm here to serve you. No hormonal evangelism, just. But yo, who can you serve? Who can you serve? Who at your job can you serve? Who do you know with the virus right now who's on quarantine that you can drop groceries to, drop a coffee to? I remember me and my wife had the virus. Um, people just, it was just, we've never been served in all of our lives just like that. Members of the worship team came to the front of our house singing worship on a Sunday morning. I'm just sitting there like I was like crying inside I don't want them to see that I'm like Lord like these people are so good and then a couple people a couple times and Debbie was one I thought I saw Debbie over there dropping us off coffees and, and medicine balls from Starbucks and, and, and Carlos Reyes my dear friend midnight I do not even know how he knew I needed milk just shows up with milk at midnight Texas burgles milk on the front porch And then he he buys the Vicks Vapor shower things. He's like, here, use these and put it in the shower. I'm like, okay. And it helps. Serving. Yo, greatness is not about how you are served. It's how you will serve. Yo, seriously, who can you serve this week? Don't look at how much it'll cost you. Who can you serve? Who can you give to? What family can you bless? Maybe, maybe, maybe you just helped Kimora. After services, instead of watching her, Jesus. maybe you get in on that blessing. Maybe you join, right? Somebody else and say, "How can I? How can I serve? What, I want to do what you're doing because I see the blessing. I see, I see that heart you have. I want that heart. I don't have that. How can you serve others? Come on, stand with me."